Happy Thursday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. Today, we have a Not Boring Founder with us who's going to tell us a little bit about how talent is distributed across the globe, but opportunities are not distributed as widely and how he's fixing that. Before we get there, speaking of opportunities that haven't been distributed as widely, let's talk about today's sponsor, Masterworks. Pop quiz. What do Jeff Bezos and I have in common? Well, other than having a face only a mother could love, we both invest heavily in contemporary art. Jeff has $70 million held in contemporary art right now. Then we'll probably buy more soon. I don't have that much. But if Jeff's betting big on an asset class, he's expecting a solid payout. My allocation to art might not be as big as Jeff's, but I'm a much better art investor than he is. I've already got a Warhol, Banksy, and a Basquiat in my portfolio. Now, I didn't need $70 million to buy these paintings because I bought them on Masterworks. Now, if you don't know Masterworks, you're not a loyal, not boring fan. I talk about them all the time. They make investing in contemporary art easy. Contemporary art is exciting because prices returned 14% on average each year from 1995 to 2020, compared to just 9.5% for stocks. Add some compounding growth magic and bang, the art outperformed stocks by nearly 3x. Masterworks has some juicy paintings on their website right now but you gotta join me on Masterworks to see what's currently available. You can get to the front of the line with my link at masterworks.io slash notboring. That's masterworks.io slash notboring. I'll see you there. Before you get there, you gotta check out the important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And a big congrats to our friends at Masterworks for announcing a new round of funding that puts them at over a billion dollar valuation. Very happy for the team there. Now let's get to it. My name is Packy McCormick. I'm your host, and I'm here today with one of the greatest founders in the Not Boring portfolio, Ayush Jeswal. Ayush, great to have you here. Yeah, good to be here, Packy. Finally, I'm not boring. Finally, <laughs> I'm not boring. No, it's it's great to have you. Yeah. Um, Ayush is the, the founder and CEO of a company called Pesto that I am incredibly excited about. I've been involved uh, probably for, I don't know, five or six months now, but we've been talking for yeah. uh, a much longer time than that. Uh, can you tell us all what Pesto does? Yeah, 100%. Pesto is basically helping folks uh, find opportunities. Uh, you know, we realize that there is, there is so much talent in places like India and uh, they don't really have access to opportunities. And we basically make sure that we help train those developers, uh, get them at par with uh, global developers and help them, you know, get the local cultural context and help them connect with jobs, um, you know, which they work at remotely. Very cool. So one of the things that I think is unclear and that I like about the model mm -hmm. that I didn't understand originally is, you're working with engineers who are already good engineers, right? And then you're training Absolutely. them up on how to work with Western companies. How does that all work? How do you select who to work with? And then what do they mm -hmm. go through? Oh yeah, there's a long process. So uh, we basically had this thesis that the world is not short on, I mean, the world is always short on developers, right? But we realized that we could always use more. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, right now looking at the market, we realized that the world is not short on developers, the world is short on good developers. And creating developers from scratch was a lot more painful. It takes a lot more time. And 
we all need developers and we all need them now, right? Um, we realized that there are 5 million developers in India, 4.5 in Europe. Places like Nigeria, Vietnam, and India are taking over the open source contribution on GitHub, right? Um, so clearly the trend, we can see that all of these places are having this activity from developers in the open source community. And um, we basically, uh, you know, decided that we'll go to these places and filter out good people and help them get jobs, right? So we go out to, we have our largest space in India and that's where we are based off uh, right now, mostly. Um, so we have had about 300,000 people who applied to get into Pesto uh, over the last couple of years. And it's it's a crazy number and it's hard for us to even filter them, but we basically make them go through an application process. We do all the things which a normal company would do, right? Like coding test, soft skill screening, communication screening, and things like that. But the key here is that after doing, like if, if doing coding test would tell you which developer is good, I think HackerRank would be a $50 billion company, right? <laughs> so it, it tells you who is bad. You still <laughs> don't know who is good. <laughs> so we make people go through a training program for 10 weeks. And uh, in those 10 weeks, we make, make them do actual work. And based on that, we drop people who don't meet the pesto bar, right? So that, that's how it, it happens. Like, so we're training them at the, at, and at the same time, we're vetting them. So what does the funnel look like for you then from the 300,000 applications to getting into the program yeah. down to like how many actually make it through the program once they're mm -hmm. in and then how many get yeah. hired from there? Yeah. So the, if you look at the top of the funnel, 300K number, the number is just ridiculous. So I won't refer to it because, you know, I'm sure we haven't filtered through everyone, every person there. Uh, so that we don't take as a number, but I think the our funnel is less than 0.3%, 0.3%, 0.4%. It hovers around that region. Wow. So it's always less than less than 1%. So as as the company would say, given those numbers, harder harder to get into than Harvard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what is, what's like the, the profile that you've seen of the developers that have done the best in the program? Mm-hmm. So we realized that it is not just about uh, skill set. Like we found that people who are having, we actually eventually ended up uh, putting a couple of things in our application process. We started looking for people who, who have a very high level of commitment and hunger to learn, right? Because we realized that their learning curve is just so much better. Uh, and that was one of the things which, which came off, you know, over the course of a few quarters after we did it. Uh, so that is the number one thing, commitment and, and hunger to learn. And apart from that, honestly, like from tech hard skills perspective, we look at people who, uh, who have done some good work in uh, JavaScript, uh, particularly React, and we just do that and we do it well uh, before we roll out more programs. Um, so that's, that's the hard skill which we look at. Apart from that, you know, all these basic screening, which every company would have to go through, we, we do that, like folks who are flexible for working in different time zones. Uh, most of our people work in EST and, uh, you know, their language barrier is not there. They, they're fluent in English uh, and, and stuff like that. So uh, we screen for all those things as well. And then at the end of the program, you're placing them with hiring companies largely in the U.S. What are some of the companies that you've, that you've worked with and, and what are some of the success stories? Yeah, some, some of my favorite ones is Synthesis, which is, uh, you know, the, the Synthesis School uh, Almanac uh, just hired from us, which is 
a great product. I love them. I think it's also an outboarding portfolio. It is right? also an outboarding portfolio yeah. company. Your smile tells me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So Almanac is another one which I love, like the whole uh, asynchronous communication aspect. I've been like, uh, you know, since last few years, I've been in remote work and pretty excited about them. Pulley is uh, one of our earliest customers and, and yeah, it's phenomenal. And um, they, we have been working with them as well. And a bunch of crypto startups, really. I think, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, companies building treasury for DAOs, uh, like, uh, you know, um, we have open and we have synthesis. I think that's also not boring portfolio <laughs> and yeah, companies like that. Very cool. And, and so when you're working with crypto companies, you're not working with Solidity devs, you're working with the JavaScript engineers who are working on the front end and, and all of that? Not yet. So we, we are looking oh. at uh, creating a free dev program uh, uh, at some point down the line, um, but that's the first thing which we'll explore apart from React. Uh, but we realized that React developers are actually pretty well suited for front end uh, jobs at these uh, crypto companies. So that was like pretty easy for us to, you know, do. So that's why we started working with these companies. Got it. That makes, that makes sense to me. And then what types of roles are people going into? Like how senior are the people that you're placing in, you know, all, all of that? What are they mm -hmm. doing once they get there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty senior actually. Uh, we, so none of our developers have, um, less than two years of work experience. So that's the minimum. And on average, they have four to five years, right? So we realized that it is really, it, when it comes to remote, junior developers just don't work, right? Like, and that's why uh, Pesto fundamentally has always been an advocate for senior developers. And I'm sure like, if you talk to anyone who, who has worked in a remote ecosystem, hiring junior devs, they would always, uh, you know, have, have a really cool story. Uh, about why not to do it, right? Um, because <laughs> it, it takes time. Like, you know, it's it takes time for junior devs to learn. And, and you know, I'm all down for remote work, but being in person uh, helps you in some ways to pick up learnings while you're there, right? Uh, so I think um, the learning curve, you know, is is there for junior developers, which can be done if you if you are, you know, a really good remote company and, and you have adopted remote work pretty well. But I think most companies are pretty new to remote work. So that's why, we realized that senior devs uh, are the ones who work. So most of our people are working in like mid to senior uh, positions at, at a bunch of, you know, different, different YC and not boring startups. <laughs> you were, you were once a junior developer yourself. You started coding fairly young. Yes. Can you tell me kind of your, your whole backstory and then how mm -hmm. all of that led to you starting Pesto? Yeah. I mean, I'm from Varnasi. It's a very, very small city. Uh, we have, uh, you know, really peaceful city and lots of cows. Uh, <laughs> so I grew up there, but I think uh, the good thing was I, I largely grew up on the internet, right? Like I, I skipped my classes uh, in school and was always uh, reading stuff, right? And, and started coding early on. And my idea after going to college was to learn how to build apps and that didn't work out. So I left college and I just started building a bunch of different stuff, right? Uh, and, and I came to US back in 2017, 16 or 17. And and when I first came here, I could get access to opportunities, which really made me feel super, super happy. I was in shock that how on earth can I get these opportunities? Like it's, it's just insane, right? I couldn't digest it. And um, I met my friends who were, you know, making $250 an hour. And I was like, that's, that's crazy. I, I do the same work. Uh, you know, that's, that's my monthly salary. So it felt, <laughs> it felt a little weird. So I felt happy that, you know, I'm getting rich. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> I felt really disappointed that 
uh, how can this be cool, right? Like, how can you just by moving, you know, from one place to the other, how can, you know, your life change so significantly? So fortunately, I, I, I was attending Startup Grand Conference that year. And Balaji, who, who, is, who was founder of Earn.com at the time, was giving a talk on how do you build a great culture in a remote team? And I happened to attend the lecture and made a bunch of notes. And I was like, you know, pretty blown away by it. And uh, that was an entry point for me into the world of remote uh, work, right? And, and then I interviewed a bunch of people from Zapier, GitHub, GitLab, sorry, and, and, a, and a bunch of other companies. And, um, and I just realized that this sounded so authentic. They, it felt like they know what they're doing, right? It, like fundamentally, they were super strong. And I just felt that companies who have been building remote just have something, some unfair advantage, which is not visible to everyone else. So that kind of like led me to, you know, uh, doing Pesto. And uh, what, what year, just so you can place us in history, what year are we at at this point? What? what Sorry. When you decided to talk to GitLab and talk to Zapier and, and lean into mm -hmm. remote, what year was that? Uh, that was 2016, 17. So this was pre-COVID before the world saw yes. that remote was kind of the obvious thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was obvious to everybody now because you're stuck at home and you have no choice. Yes. It was obvious to you because yes. you saw that difference in pay for the yeah. same exact work and skill level yeah. and all of that. Yeah, Is absolutely. I mean, for the first year when I was I wanted to start this out, I went and pitched everybody. And everybody thought I'm just a kid like trying to you know, uh, play around and nobody really took me seriously. And then, and then I had to like start a tech consulting firm um, to make money and then put that money into creating this program. So first 300K, we just made doing consulting and then, you know, built the school. Making 300K at that age sounds pretty incredible. Why'd you decide not to just keep going on that path and start making a million dollars a year consulting and, yeah. and living a pretty easy life? Yeah. Honestly, it was fun. For two months, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I, I've never really uh, traveled a lot. Uh, at that time, I, you know, barely got out of India. And for two months, I was just all over the place. I was trying to go to different countries and meet friends and, and attend conferences and stuff. And then I felt so wrong, like so, so wrong. I got all my employees together and we were, I think, 12 people team at that time. And I told them what we are doing, right? We were literally paying them, uh, you know, uh, one third, one fifth of whatever we were charging our customers doing nothing. We just gave them an office space and <laughs> interviewed to hire them. And we were still paying above market uh, by paying people, you know, uh, $1,500 or $2,000 uh, a month. And that just felt unfair. You know, I, I felt guilty <laughs> building that business. And, and yeah, that, that's why we decided to do something more meaningful. When you told them, was their reaction, were they pissed off? Were they still grateful to be making more? Like, what was the reaction in the room or on the Zoom or whatever it was when yeah. you told everybody, hey, by the way, like we're keeping most yeah. of the money here? Yeah, yeah. I think like some, one of them said that uh, I thought we do these conversations in private. <laughs> these, are, these are whispers we don't, we don't talk about. Uh, but I think like I'm pretty sure like most people know, right? Like we have uh, a trillion dollar industry, which is like the whole tech consulting firm. Like I think two largest tech consulting firms uh, do about $150 billion in revenue, right? Um, all their developers know 
they know what what are you know these companies charging their customers and they know that they're paying you know one tenth of that to these to these tech workers. And it just feels unfair, right? I have like countless stories. While I was building Festival, I did uh, interview so many developers who were working at different companies and I couldn't find anyone working at any of these, you know, consulting firms happy. Everyone was, you know, you're just doing it because it has job stability and uh, we don't really have as many options and st stuff like that. Uh, it, it just felt super unfair. I, I really feel there's something that needs to be fixed, you know, like, uh, yeah. And 100%. the numbers, like the numbers on the actual individual people level, like it's exciting to look at the growth numbers and the revenue numbers and Pesto's growing well and all of that. The numbers that are most mm -hmm. exciting, I think to me, and it sounds like very much to you are what people make coming into the program and, and then what they make once they're placed. What is that range? And, and what does that look like from coming in to then getting placed with a company? Yeah, it's, it's, I think like last four or five months, it's been like average Forex um, of what they were making before. Uh, I, I do like feel great about this because it ends up creating like life-changing impact on people. But at the same time, I, I encourage developers to not focus on this part, right? To focus on work and creating more value and, and focusing on the right things, right? Like, um, but uh, we have seen like the highest, you know, multiple we have seen a guy got 25x increase in his salary and you know we had like a feedback call with him and and he was almost crying on the call right he was so grateful um and so many like i think we have a lot of like more than uh 20 25 of our base of people who have got more than seven eight times than than what they were making before right so it's it's crazy how undervalued uh, talent is across the world and what do you think that is? So there's, you know, companies on their own could go out and hire remote engineers from around the world right now. And I guess mm -hmm. they are, right? Like if you have a lot of stars on GitHub, or, like people can find you. Yeah. Why do you think that yeah. gap is still so wide in this world that is supposedly mm -hmm. kind of more remote and global and open? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think like people who are actually the, the top, top people who are very active in the open source community have too many stars on their GitHub profiles and and, and stuff like that. Honestly, I don't think they need Pesto. Um, I feel people who have the potential to be there, which is a much larger, you know, number of developers. Uh, I feel they are the ones who who actually need Pesto and 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 need visibility, uh, you know, to to their talent and recognition for their talent. So that that's the biggest thing which we feel that that's the audience that you are catering, and for companies. It's actually incredibly hard, right? Like, I, I, I can't imagine that if I have to hire a person in a different country, I don't know what schools they're from. So all these signals which are there, right? What schools they're from, what companies they've worked at, what are the open source projects they've contributed to? If you don't have these three things, it's almost like certain that you will make hiring mistakes, right? So I think like Pesto acts as, as the, you know, sort of, a uh, company who does all of that heavy, list, heavy lifting for companies and companies are able to come on the platform and literally look at people's work. You know, the platform which we have does not talk about uh, the previous companies these guys have worked at or the schools they're from. None, you know, none of that matters. We only talk about that here's the work which this guy has done and look at their code, look at the documentation and look at how... Uh, they are talking about themselves, you know, a video and, and uh, look at the experiences they have and hire them 
on the basis of merit, right? And that is the change which we are really trying to bring. So you've moved, I think the first time we spoke, you were in Delhi. And now I think mm -hmm. you're calling in from San Francisco. Yeah. What made you move here? Um, I think uh, two things. One was that um, our customers are here, right? And uh, for the last two years, uh, year, year and a half, I've been like, you know, uh, going to bed at 6 a.m., uh, which is kind of an extreme, right? <laughs> I mean, normally everybody in India is, is a night owl. So most of us prefer going to bed like at 1 a.m. or so. Um, but 6 a.m. was a stretch. Um, I realized that, you know, doing that hustle was not as necessary. Um, and I realized that I would get to do calls and stuff like that, but I, I won't get to understand the ecosystem, understand how my customers think, right? interview them, spend time with them, and really understand how is the ecosystem. So that did two things for me. One was it really helped me get closer to our customers. The second thing it did, which I'm so, so grateful for, is that I just got surrounded by so many people who just wanted to help me. And that really helped me evolve as a founder, as a person. And I feel I've got more to learn in in last, you know, 10 months than, than last five years combined. That's so cool. When you, when you see there's big exits happening in India, big funding rounds happening in India, obviously a ton of talented developers in India, what do you think it takes to get, you know, whether it be Delhi or Bombay or somewhere else to be that kind of place where you can feel like you're surrounded by those types of people and you're learning a ton, mm -hmm. what needs to happen and how long do you think that takes? Uh, honestly, I feel like I, I pretty much feel that uh, in Bangalore, you know, it's uh, it's great. The ecosystem is pretty much at par with any other part of the world. Um, I haven't spent time in Mumbai, so I can't talk about that. But I've spent enough time in Delhi and Bangalore. And I feel that people who are not paying attention to Delhi and Bangalore should be paying attention to Delhi and Bangalore because, uh, you know, um, th there's too much action happening there. Uh, the ecosystem is great, of course, but I think having the relevant uh, you know, pe people who are building basically SaaS products for the U.S. markets or who are selling to the U.S. market, it, it helps to uh, be here. So I would still be here um, for that learning. But I think if you're building a consumer product for a half a billion people who came online in last two, three years, right? Like it's it's another country, like another U.S. dropped, right, on the Internet. So I think that's a huge market to go after. So if, if you're building for those kinds of um markets it's it's the place to be in honestly. yeah I mean, it, if you're looking for proof points misho just raised at five billion or something right yeah. they're, and they're relatively young and just growing incredibly fast on yeah. the consumer side of the market so it's, yeah i i'm yeah. fascinated obviously married to yeah. an indian woman spent the last year of covid living awesome. in an indian household so i've been That's inundated awesome. with uh you know india pride but just looking at that market more and more i i think it's it's incredibly exciting um, and yes. on the hiring company side here, so switching gears, so you came here to be closer to the hiring companies. What are their reservations about hiring people from Pesto versus, you know, every single company in my portfolio and every single company in everybody's portfolio mm -hmm. is having a hard time hiring engineers. Mm -hmm. What are their hesitations when you're like, look, I have a bunch of great engineers. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, they should really get in touch with us. Uh, it's, 
I, I would if I build another company, I would just hire best developers. They're just so good. <laughs> you know, like spending two hundred k to hire someone and taking six months to hire them, I'd say it's like a it's suicide in in the startup land at least, right? Um, and you know, I, I feel like uh, just I don't know it's it's so good, man. I I honestly feel it. It's we have done like a lot of changes. Um, we have. Of course, like uh, I debated a lot over over last ten months or so. Um, come up with uh, programs, kept on iterating. I've done about like quite a few launches, you know. Uh, tweak the curriculum, have phenomenal mentors, uh, program design, so on and so forth, right? And I'd say like if you talk to talk to the developers, you'll you'll get to know the difference. Um, so I think the customers which we have, one of the data points which we have is that. We don't have really new customers, uh, a lot of new customers which we're taking, right? We, we were opening in beta. We decided that one of the signals which can really tell us if we are ready would be for existing customers to start scaling with us, right? And we saw that growth, all the growth which you've seen in last six, seven months was A, organic, B, driven by all our existing customers. So existing customers just hiding more, right? And building their tech team just out of uh, pesto grads and uh, I think that is the signal which we're looking for. And, and we, we're, of course, like we're right now rolling out our, our beta to more customers. So if we have some not boring people uh, who who want some boring developers, not, not boring developers. They're boringly <laughs> good. Their code is going to be boringly, boringly good. good. Yes. <laughs> no mistakes. No. Yeah. But otherwise, it's not boring. Um, what's what's been like the biggest growth within a company obviously it's young and, and there's you know like it, it's not gonna be hundreds and hundreds of developers but what's the most you've seen mm -hmm. a company grow uh like like the number pesto? of people that they hire with pesto yeah uh i think we have a couple of companies who are more like at more than 12 one company is at 12 13 developers another one at six to seven and the company was at 12 to 13 is actually planning to go to 25 um or more so i think yeah, we are seeing that with our existing customers, and we are we are really excited, like uh, you know, uh, with with where this is headed. So yeah, on the company building side, then, like, how do you think about when to just focus on existing customers? How do you decide? Like, is there a number you're looking for for when you're ready to open it up mm -hmm. more broadly? How are you thinking about all yeah. of that sequencing? Look at signals. I'm actually a, I have this really interesting theory of bad designs. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure where I picked it up from. I was just doing a lot of reading on designs. Um, but one of the things I realized is that um, having a bad design is actually great if you are at an early stage, right? Like, look, the market which you're going after is, you know, worth uh, tens of billions of dollars, right? That's very clear. Uh, you know, all these tech consulting industry, only the top 10 people combined do, do like 250 billion plus in uh, revenue, right? So, Insane market, uh, no question about that. So the only thing which can really, um, you know, slow us down or, you know, that can, you know, be a barrier and stuff like that would be uh, ease of doing business, right? How easily you are selling it, you know, having your PMF, right? So letting the business talk to you is extremely important, right? So when we have bad design and your customers are still coming back to you, there is only one reason they can, they will come back, right? That is, your developers are really, really good, right? So, <laughs> so that's why we were looking at, and that is a signal which you know is hard to read from new customers. 
much easier to read from existing customers, right? So because of that, like some 65, 70% of our uh, customers who new came in were actually referrals of our existing customers. We have some powered customers who are just, you know, connecting us to people all the time. Um, but yeah, I think that that is something which I was looking forward to uh, in, in existing customers growing because they would only hire from us if the people who have hired before are actually doing extremely well. And when they hire a Pesto developer, is that person an employee of the company? Are they working the same hours? Are they moving from India to mm -hmm. San Francisco? Like how, how mm -hmm. tight is that integration? Yeah, it's absolutely direct. I'll explain this in a very simple manner. Um, basically that's remote one-on-one, right? Like uh, remote work one-on-one that uh, when you hire people remotely, some people put people on payroll, some people put them as contractors. And there are different uh, legal structures, but what they are actually is your full-time remote employees, right? So when people hire Pesto developers, they don't work as uh, as their full-time, sorry, they don't uh, relocate to a different country to work in person, right, with them. They will be working from India. They do four to five hours of time zone overlap with EST. So if you're in PST uh, on like uh, the West Coast, then, uh, you know, uh, you will be doing they'll be doing work till like afternoon time or something, right? Um, and if you're in New York, then even better. Um, so that's the time zone overlap, which looks like. And the relationship is that it's a tripartite agreement. Those people will be your full-time employees. Pesto will be a payment partner in that process. Just like, you know, now we have deal and remote uh, trying to solve that problem as well. Um, so it's, it's like a similar, uh, you know, uh, relationship there. Pesto is just like deal, a payment partner, and you're working directly with uh, those developers. And then what's your business model? So we make money using income sharing agreements. Uh, we charge 15% uh, on average uh, from each developer once they get jobs. Uh, right now we are operating in beta, so we are giving heavy recruitment discounts. So we are not charging any, any recruitment fee to our customers yet. Uh, if they hire less than five developers, beyond five, we are, we've got like a recruitment fee, but we make money through income sharing agreements. Incentives are aligned. I love it. Absolutely. What's the biggest challenge for you now? Uh, I think uh, right now, the biggest challenge for us is actually uh, translating this value. Now we have like built in like stealth and we have figured out this is how it scales and this is how we create value. I think uh, taking that value to more people and really convincing them to, to talk to these people, right? Not hire them. Just talk to them, uh, you know, really see their work, look at their work. I think that's the that's the only biggest thing which I could uh, come up with. And uh, we do face uh, some companies would have, and, and this is very natural, right? Some, some people would have this hesitation around time zones, which is the biggest one we have seen so far. Um, and I would say that the, the biggest bridge which we have to cross there is help people get, get cultural context, right? Like when I'm in the US, I wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning and you know, get going with my day. When I'm in India, I do not sleep before 2 a.m. Uh, you know, and I did the survey um, on LinkedIn and Twitter that I asked people, what time do you go to bed? After 12, before 12 a.m. And 80% of people across thousands of votes said after 12 a.m., right? So it's a very cultural thing. I don't know why it exists. Maybe, you know, we have a lot of TV shows at night, which families like seeing, you know, growing up or whatever. But 
it's 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 pretty late. My granny sleeps after 12 a.m. as well. I, so I'm it's, telling it's you, like a cultural. My in-laws, yeah. like we'd go to bed early and they'd be up watching Indian Idol or whatever else, like late into the exactly. night and then go to sleep late. They don't eat dinner until nine. So we'd have to eat earlier. Yes. I, that that makes that makes total that, that checks out with with my yes. lived uh, lived experience on that. How about you when you're building when you're building Pesto? What does the team look like now? How many people are you? Are you planning to hire Pesto grads? Have you hired Pesto grads? Like, how are you thinking about building Pesto itself? Yeah, hundred percent. We have hired Pesto grads before, and uh, uh, our team is now twenty four people, and uh, we have six people in US. Um, uh, out of which we have five full time people, and uh, we have. Uh, you know, Rahul, who joined us uh, last year, has been phenomenal. He's one of our angel investors um, who came on board and, and has been, you know, helping us really get his, uh, being a CTO, he really understands what uh, what a startup needs in a developer, right? Like, uh, as they scale. So I think that uh, has gone super well. Uh, we have hired a couple of more people uh, back in India to build the fundamentals of, uh, you know, uh, the program and admissions itself. And yeah, I think we have like a decent leadership team and also in US uh, and, and we are looking to scale this now. So excited about that. You're unique because I think you're the only company in my portfolio who isn't asking for engineering hires and is asking for help finding engineers. Yeah. What roles, if anybody's listening yeah. <laughs> out there and they want to help connect the gap between these 5 million developers yeah. and the million kind of open jobs yes. in the US that are looking for developers, what roles are you looking for? React only. React it's, only. We just do one thing. We do it well. Yes. <laughs> so that's we will, that's for the program. What about for the company? Like what what is Pesto hiring? Oh, what is Pesto hiring? So Pesto is hiring SDRs and AEs to help us reach out to more people. And uh, in India, uh, we are hiring more program managers. Okay, so to scale up the program, SDRs, yeah. AEs, program managers. If you want to sell, I feel like SDRs and AEs are looking for things that are you know, both have a positive impact and like are very easy to sell. And this, yes. like if I were an SDR and a, I think this is so easy to sell, particularly Absolutely. in this given environment. And I don't think this environment is changing anytime soon. Yeah. So if you're an SDR and a, who wants to go make a lot of money, you should go work at, yeah. at Pesto. Just a little, little plug there uh, among a larger plug. Another you're seeing companies across the world and how they're working where do you think we end up on remote? Are companies starting to go back and think only about hiring locally again? Obviously, you're biased and you'll say remote no matter what. But Absolutely. like, what are some <laughs> of the signals that you're seeing on whether people are going back or whether they're staying remote or, mm -hmm. or how companies are thinking about it? Mm -hmm. I think at the early stage, uh, not being remote has merit, right? Because then you're actually changing directions a lot, right? So at an early stage, I get that argument, and and I actually feel it's helpful if you're if you're not remote sometimes. Although I've seen like people do it really well remotely as well, so it depends on how well you can do it. But I actually have have an interesting opinion on where the future is headed. So I feel uh, remote work was you know something which really excited me back in 2016, 17, and and I knew that this is the future, and I expected it to take time. COVID, of course, accelerated everything, right? Um, now I feel that a remote work is is here to stay for sure. Like every good person I've interviewed, uh, the reason for them leaving their company is because the company is uh, getting back to office, right? So I think people who don't want to lose talent um, 
uh, will have to say remote, right? Um, the second thing which I feel is that a lot of people, like th there's this organizational change which I feel is going to happen in the next five years in which you will have these full-time employees who are going to work with you to figure out what you're really building and a small core team of you know those builders. And then a lot of individual contribution work, especially when it comes to programming, is going to be completely distributed. And what does that mean? There's, there's this concept of, I read this paper at Stanford once, uh, the concept of flash organizations, right? In which, because work is now measurable and work can be done from anywhere and, any, and anyone can do it, after this core team of people who you have, all the IC work, you can put it on a platform and anyone can get it done. And whoever gets it done best will be rewarded for the work which they've done, right? Now, this sounds a little extreme, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's not just common. It's also been done before in the last 20 years. And the way it's been done before is using open source projects. Open source projects are the biggest pieces of softwares which have been built in the last 20 years. And they have been built by nobody. You don't even know the names of people, right? There is an efficient way to do that. And if you can put, you know, uh, reward people as they put in their good work, um, it, it just works out. People are incentivized to do higher quality work. Otherwise, they won't get paid. And uh, your life becomes simple. You just say, I need these things to get done. And then you have this base of people who are looking to do that work. And there's less management, less hassle, more work, higher productivity, so on and so forth. So that's a really interesting observation. I was talking to Chris Toy at Marketer Hire. They, I think, view the future mm -hmm. a lot in the same way where it, it's not just that you can awesome. kind of replace, you know, like the existing job with somebody that you find through Marketer Hire. It's that you can change the way that you hire and think about running your organization completely exactly. when recruiting mm -hmm. isn't a six month timeline where you are spending all of this money and time and effort and you have to get the person exactly right. And then you need to have meetings with them all of the time because they're this really expensive. Per yes. It's just like, no, I need something to get done. And so I, and I yes. need a person to get done. That raises an interesting mm -hmm. question for you though, because your model right now is placing people in full-time roles. How does mm -hmm. Pesto evolve? If, if everything becomes a flash, mm -hmm. a flash organization, how does Pesto yeah. evolve to, to be a part of that? I mean, we are best positioned to take that market if the market goes in that direction. I mean, think about it. Uh, we have, we are not just training these people in those 10 weeks. We are capturing data points on what these people are actually good at. And after they've gone on to work at a company for a job, they're still in our ecosystem. We have that community of developers. So if we end up with a community of 100K developers who are working at different companies and this transition is happening, I think we would be... Uh, best positioned uh, to take up that opportunity. Makes sense. And you mentioned that you're potentially going to be adding some solidity, that you're working with crypto companies now. Do you think that model needs crypto to work really well, like open source plus tokens is more efficient? Or how do you think that model ends up working? What do you think that looks like? I mean, I would say like uh, that model is actually a little little too far in the future. But one of the reasons uh, I'm like super excited to work with crypto companies is because I want to be a part of building the future. And uh, I don't think there's anything else I could be working on, you know, in my life right now. It's uh, too much innovation, too big of an opportunity to miss out on. And um, the second thing is that crypto 
companies are re- native remote, right? Like they're most open to, uh, you know, uh, working with people in a remote environment. And I've actually seen a couple of companies which are being built by nobody as well, right? That's using all aliases and, and, and things like that, right? So I think um, they are actually, I feel, um, farthest in the vision we have for the future. They're farthest in that, uh, you know, column. And that's why uh, it makes total sense for us to collaborate and work with them. And on Solidity or Web3, I think we'll come up with Web3 or Solidity, one of the courses. And I think that's just like an entry point for us to really get involved with um, companies and help solve, uh, you know, the the recruitment issues for... There, there's so much building needs to be done in crypto. So will, will the ISA be, let's say these people are getting paid in tokens, like will you start building up a treasury of tokens from various projects and uh-huh. protocols as you're placing people? Great question. Uh, I am looking into it. <laughs> you know, I think we definitely want to enable people have the ability uh, to pay in USDC. Uh, that's like the biggest thing which we're working on. Um, holding tokens on our balance sheet, I think we'll have to, uh, you know, basically go through some other uh, nuances there, like, you know, check with our legal team, how, how to do that and how exactly to best structure it and, and stuff like that. But I think um, if we work with uh, crypto companies, we would, always want to have vested interest in their success. I'm I'm all about win-win situations. Yeah, it, it's so cool because right now your incentives are aligned yeah. with the developer. But to yes. also have, and, and they are also aligned yeah. with the hiring companies because you your main goal is to get companies to hire more and more and more PESTA developers. Yes. But to yes. financially have that alignment with, it just kind of closes the loop a little bit there too, which I think yes. is, is Absolutely. really interesting. 100%. All right. Yeah. So we are we are approaching the end of our conversation. I'm a hiring developer. I somehow during this conversation, I've learned how to code. I'm a CTO mm-hmm. at a Series A company uh, in New York City, and we are looking to mm-hmm. hire like six engineers. Yesterday, we get on mm-hmm. the phone. What is your like one minute pitch for Pesto and why we should hire mm-hmm. Pesto developers? So uh, to be honest, I think we, we try to look for what you're really looking for. And there's only one category of developers we have. If you match that, we will just uh, do a demo for you and really show you what we are building and how efficient it is, right? And once you see that, we'll basically match you to, to some of the developers who best match. And then you're free to like look at their profiles. And I feel like once you really look at their work, right, uh, you, will, you will realize uh, that they're actually really good and, and uh, yeah, worth, worth pursuing. So that really convinces people generally to go ahead and interview. Ayush, thank you so much for talking to me. Where can people find you and Pesto online? Oh, Twitter is best, best for me personally. Uh, Pesto is at pesto.tech. If you sign up there, we'll get in touch and, and schedule uh, you know a discovery call with us. Thank you so much for joining me on Not Boring Founders. This is certainly not boring. Uh, and I yes. now want to start a company <laughs> that hires developers so that I can hire from you. Oh, 100%. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm so glad to be not boring again. <laughs>